Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am so excited for you to be here to join us today. The goal of this show is to amplify the stories of amazing people, which serve as inspiration for your journey. Your story matters. It tells us who you are and who you want to be. Enjoy this opportunity to hear from these innovative thought leaders as they discuss what it means to unlock unlimited potential. If you are looking for an opportunity to connect further with me after this show, please visit brandonbeckedu.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, consulting, and other offerings that are designed to help you and your organization find greater results in your journey. Uh, unlocking unlimited potential means to me find best in yourself so you can actually help inspire that in others. Unlocking unlimited potential means the work is not about you. It's about seeing the greatness in others and using your own story and your vulnerability to unleash the potential that others have. It means going for it. It means taking fear, doubt, and worry, those gremlins that are whispering in your ear, invite them in, Make them some coffee, tell them to have a seat, and tell them that you're gonna wa- they're going to watch you get after it. Fear, doubt, and worry has to be managed. Looking in the mirror and seeing yourself differently. It's hard enough to get a student to see who they are, but now try to get them to see who they can become, and that will make all the difference in the world. Be unapologetically you. That everyone has a story and everyone has something to bring to the table. That I understand that I am enough. Empowering yourself to own your story. We limit ourselves to what we think is going to happen and we don't open the doors to the possibility of what's next. It's knowing who you are now and then doing anything necessary into becoming who you want to be. Unlimited potential, man, is getting to that diamond. It is down, deep down in everybody that I walk past every day. Everyone that I look at, no matter whatever the disability, no matter whatever the the level of disappointment, depression, whatever unfortunate situation, man, there's a diamond deep down inside and everybody has a calling on their life. Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories show. I'm so excited to have my special guest here today. We're going to talk about some awesome, awesome things that happen creatively in schools and classrooms. We're going to talk about some awesome ways to authentically learn. We're going to talk about creative autonomy. We're going to get into it. But first, let me introduce you to my special guest. This is Ross Cooper. Ross, how you doing? Right. My good. Oh, there we go. It looks like I got you with the mute button there. Yeah, it's all yeah. good. I can always edit that out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. First, uh, first day back from the holiday break after having five, six, about nine days off, nine, ten days off. But uh, we're going strong. We're going really strong. It was a great first day back. Going strong as an assistant pr- principal in Westchester County, New York. Mm-hmm. That is a 
beautiful thing. And we have been diving into your story a little bit on the pre-show. And, and to me, it feels like we've been talking. We I feel like I've now known you for like 10 years after our, our pre-show. Yeah. But here we are now. We're diving in. Uh, we actually live, you know, kind of kind of close to each other, which is is kind of cool yeah. to to yeah. meet virtually and to actually have a, a conversation and hopefully meet in person someday as yeah. well. But let's just dive right in. So I'd love to introduce you. I know many people have heard and I know many people in my audience may have even read your books. Um, you're an assistant principal writing about project based learning. Tell us about your story. Tell us about how you you went from educator to author and so much more yeah so so thank you um yeah i was one of those students um you know growing up in in trumbull connecticut um i knew i wanted to be a teacher from an from an early age and i knew i wanted to be an educator from an early age the only other thing i considered was going to culinary school uh because i'm a huge foodie so anybody who follows me on social media Although I'm not as active as I used to be, I you could tell that I'm a huge foodie um, based on my post. So long story short, um, I was one of those students who learned, you know, differently than other students. I think um, right now in education and you know, per the history of education, we have a very narrow definition of what it means to be smart or successful as a student. Um, you know, whether whether it's test scores, whether it's mistaking um, or, or mistaking intelligence for compliance or compliance for intelligence. Um, you know, I was just one of those students who I, you know, I think I had a lot to offer. I did okay in school, but um, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because, you know, we mentioned like creative autonomy and I don't think I had that so much as a student. So I wanted to become an educator and for the most part, create experiences for students that weren't created for me um, when I was a student. So, you know, the whole idea of, you know, be the educator you wish you had, you know, when you were young or something like that. So, um, you know, through my history or through my story as a, as a fourth grade teacher, that's one of the reasons why I embraced, uh, as you mentioned, project-based learning, inquiry-based learning, you know, which is students learning through investigation, exploration, student-centered learning, whatever you want to call it, all those buzzwords, right? All those buzzwords, student agency. Um, and that was something that I really promoted and had the opportunity to, um, to, to facilitate in my classroom as a fourth grade teacher in Pennsylvania. And then it was one of those things where, hey, like I want to, um, I want to inspire on a bigger scale. Um, you know, I want to lead, I want to lead or at least attempt to lead, you know, as an administrator. So that's when, you know, that's when I took the leap into administration. Um, and I've been a, I've been an assistant principal. I've been a principal. I've been a K through 12 curriculum supervisor. Um, and hopefully I carry that, you know, same creative flair and that, you know, that student centered approach with me. Um, you know, what I had as a classroom teacher, hopefully I bring that with me into work every day as an administrator. Wow. That's a solid story. I'm more thinking about all the restaurants that you probably go to near me that we're going to talk about in the post show, but That's we'll, important. we'll get to that one yeah. later. We'll do yeah. our, our best of Westchester uh, yeah. review. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, amazing to you, your, your idea and your, your thoughts behind going into administration, you use the word you wanted to inspire and you wanted to lead on a, on a different level. And, and I think that that's always something that is, 
is challenging, especially after coming on the heels of a pandemic where we've really seen this shift in education that has led to places where project-based learning was really one of the most effective, you know, ways to be able to produce maybe with opportunities to have distance between learners and things like that. And so talk a little bit about how, you know, your, your instruction, your thoughts in, in that realm, and, and just give us a little bit of your, your secret sauce there on, on that. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, if anything, if I look at, I don't know how many, you know, schools or organizations were really able to thrive, you know, so much during the pandemic, like it was tough, like it was tough, especially two years ago, right? I think that was tough everywhere. And I think, um, first and foremost, whether we're talking about project based learning or anything else, or just, you know, getting through the pandemic as an organization, I think first and foremost, it's about being human. You know, and if I look at the organizations that were successful and are successful, um, I think it's about those that, you know, really centered people, whether it's the educators, the administrators, the teachers, or the students, and really made it about them first and foremost. Uh, so I so I think that, you know, I think that comes first. And I think that, you know, that whole approach and mindset carries over to project-based learning. This whole idea, you know, I always ask, um, are we meeting students where they are, where they are, are we meeting students where they are, or, or are we forcing them to conform to us, right? And I think a lot of times, um, if you start to have, you know, really authentic, deep conversations, and you peel back the layers as to what we're doing and not doing in our learning spaces, uh, in, in many instances, we've created learning spaces and organizations that are more about the comfort level of adults than they are about what's relevant to students and what's going to empower students. So, uh, so once again, it's about being human. It's about having those conversations then asking ourselves, how can we make our spaces and our organizations more relevant to, for, for students and how can we center students instead of centering ourselves? Um, and then an explicit way to do that in my mind is through project-based learning, um, which to me is, you know, basically an instructional unit that involves students learning through investigation and exploration, which is inquiry-based learning. It's inquiry spanning across an entire instructional unit. And then of course you might have like a, you know, a public audience, a public product, student publishing, student reflection, and, and those types of components. Yes. You know, it's so interesting that seeing how the inquiry-based part of it is something that is at such a grand scale and it's considered such a high level skill for educators. Mm -hmm. However, it is something that is achievable and it's not on a top of a, a giant mountain. There's many simple ways to implement. Let's, I'm not going there, but what I want to mm -hmm. say is that a lot of times when we look at the challenges, sometimes it's people hear project-based learning and they go running for the hills, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So what are, what, are, what do you see as sometimes those, those reasons that people go running from the hills in the project-based learning when they hear that call. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it's like, you know, we think about it as like this pie in the sky type thing, right? So I could think about like when I first started out with it, maybe over 12 years ago as a fourth grade teacher, we started in my school district, East Penn School District in, in the Eastern part of Pennsylvania by watching videos on Edutopia right? Project-based learning videos on Edutopia, which are still very much relevant today. But if you're teaching in, in a quote-unquote traditional way, 
and then you're looking at those videos, right? And you're looking at it, and you're looking at examples of project-based learning. There's a strong chance that the gap between what's going on in your space and what's going on in those examples and videos, that there's a huge gap. That there's a huge gap. And when we know what we know when it comes to change, um, whether it's in education or outside of education, um, when something looks overwhelming and something looks unobtainable, we kind of revert back to what we were doing before. Um, so instead of making progress, not not and maybe in some instances, not only we're we not making progress, we're moving backwards because we've demoralized our people, right? So that tends to happen. So I think it's about breaking it down and looking at it as, um, once again, an inquiry-based unit with multiple entry points. So I started talking about um, those different components of project-based learning, whether it's student publishing, whether it's self-assessment, which I'm huge on, um, reflection, even flexible learning spaces, um, uh, using driving questions or essential questions or, or learning targets, like all of those different approaches um, kind of like glued together make up project-based learning. And one of them is inquiry, which, which we both mentioned already. So if you think about any one of those approaches, let's just say like effective feedback strategies, right? That's necessary in order for project-based learning, I think, to be impactful, right? But there are some districts that might spend years just developing impactful feedback strategies. So if you take that and you throw it in with everything else, you could think about how much of a mountain and how hard it is to climb that, how hard it could be to do project-based learning. So really we're asking our teachers to do a lot. So I would say, look at those components based on where you are, based on your resources, based on the comfort level of your students and what they need. Um, you could choose any or some of those components as entry points and keep building from there until what you have is project-based learning. So so long story short, we're, we're biting off a lot at once. <laughs> we're biting off a lot at once. And sometimes we, in order to do this effectively, and we might not even realize it, so break it down into chunks. Um, which and makes it starts really with, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it starts with in the most important piece, involving your students yeah. Yeah. in developing the learning objective yeah. and the knowing where they're going you know, yeah. having them develop the roadmap for success. Yeah. The more, the more that they're involved. It's funny, you know, you use the word inquiry because way back when, about seven years ago, I did the national board certification. Mm -hmm. And what I was so interested and in, walked away with one of the biggest takeaways was the amount of student inquiry that they wanted in the videos in the lesson planning in mm -hmm. the involvement of the students and that to me was something that i came away from pre-service education with a little bit of that and i came away from you know in the schools that as i got into the schools i went in i was a teacher in new york city i went mm -hmm. right into you know new york city where we were you know really pushing the, the the curriculum hard and then you know you get a lot of times you get into that space where that does happen sometimes so we want to realize that when we bring it back, it starts with asking the students from the moment it begins. Yeah, yeah. I think to your point too, Brandon, it's it's if it, it, like this idea of embedding inquiry into teacher, like professional learning, professional development, whatever you want to call it. I think a lot of times we have this idea through professional learning, and I've seen this, where it's like once the teachers have learned the basics then they could go on to inquiry or they could go on to project-based learning. 
And I would argue that we have it a bit backwards because what you're doing is um, if you've been teaching in a more direct instruction type way or more traditional way, and I always use that term loosely because you could define that however you want. But if you've been doing that for like five, six, seven years, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now, now you're ready for the next step. Now you could do inquiry. Now you could do PBL. Those practices that you've done previously might be so ingrained into what you're doing that making that switch might be difficult. But if you're learning those optimal practices from the very beginning, whatever those optimal practices may be, inquiry, PBL, something else, then that's going to be embedded into who you are as an educator, right? And it's going to benefit you and benefit your students. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm a bigger fan of saying like set the bar high for both teachers and students, right? And have them try to meet those expectations or meet those expectations rather than saying, okay, like we're going to bring you along this progression um, and you can't move to the next step until you've mastered the previous one. I think in some ways that could be detrimental. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. My experience. Absolutely. Just the same way, same way that all students are unique to learning. The all the mm -hmm. teachers are are unique to learning. We're all we're all students, yeah. and I think that that is, you know, that's critical, and it's a challenging, and that's a that's a large task when we're dealing with all the other challenges that we're dealing with in in schools. But talk a little bit about now. You've written two books, so I mean, obviously, writing one book is a pretty big deal. Writing two books is is a big deal as well. I mean, it just to be able to put that together. I know you are a co-author um, as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a team experience. And I know your, your other author deserves the, the, the credit there as well. So can we yeah. please shout her out? Yeah. Aaron Murphy, Aaron Murphy, Aaron yeah. Murphy, shout yeah. out. That's, yeah. I mean, and you wrote both books with her. So, you know, talk about that for a moment, if you don't mind just a little bit about writing a, the team approach to writing two books. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, the first one was, um, well, we taught together. So I took, when I taught fourth grade, she taught fifth grade and we were both heavily into project-based learning. And, um, a couple of my colleagues, you know, or my friends had, had written books with, um, with the same publisher, the hacking series, right? So, um, hacking assessment was written by, um, star Saxton and the hacking leadership by Joe Sanfilippo and Tony Sinanis. So it was like, why, why not, why not us? Why not us? So I had this idea. I called her. I said, I have an idea. I need you to say yes. And we're going to do hacking project-based learning. And that's how that came about. And, um, the first book, as we've talked about, came with like a template, all the hacking books come with a template. And we thought that one was, you know, pretty successful. It resonated with a lot of educators and maybe students too. So it's like, all right, we still have more to say. Um, you know, as a result of that first book, we did a lot of consulting and speaking and things like that. So it's like, now we've learned more, we have more to say, let, let's do another book. And we're really proud of, um, we're proud of both books. I think the first one, we were just happy to have a book. It's kind of surreal to hold the book in your hands for the first time. That's yours. And then the second one, I think, not that the first one's bad, but I think the content of the second one, I think, um, I'm more, I'm more proud of, I think it's a little bit more complete when it comes to, you know, guiding educators along that inquiry and project-based learning um, journey. And it was like a two-year process. Um, and we're proud of it. We're proud of it. And I think that, you know, the feedback has been good. Um, I always think like, is this a book that you'd want, like if you were studying this topic, if you were studying project-based learning as like a staff, is this the book that you would want to give to all of your teachers, right? Like, you know, so, so that's what, that's what we shoot for. You know, that's what we shoot for. Yeah. So. That's, 
pretty amazing. Um, what when you think about the amount of time and effort and mm-hmm. you know the amount you've done and and that's gone into it, it's got to be a, a pretty rewarding. And I'm sure you have some amazing takeaways. So, what would be like your your big message to teachers in regards of you know your sale? for project-based learning to let them know it's time to time to get down to it. Yeah. I think it's kind of what I, what I've talked about before. And maybe I didn't, or I probably could have articulated it a little bit better. It's this idea that it's, that's a bunch of like research-based practices that are really strung together and you don't have to eat the entire elephant at once. And you could start, and it's, and by having those multiple entry points, it's naturally differentiated based on your needs and based on your students' needs. Um, I, I've seen so many districts say, okay, like this year, our goal is for you to take one y- unit that you teach and transform it into, they call it like a PBL. You know, we're going to do a PBL. And I think one of the things I'll say to that is it's if you're a student-centered teacher and you're teaching the same project-based learning experience as the teacher down the hallway, and that person is not a student-centered teacher, you could essentially be teaching the same unit but it could look entirely different from one classroom to the next based on the approach of both teachers, if that makes sense. So it's not just about checking the boxes, filling in the unit planning template and making sure you have all the components of what you would deem a project-based learning experience. It's also about, um, you know, the idea of efficacy, student agency, and the, and really the, the mindset and approach that that teacher brings to the table. So I think that's, that's tremendously important. This idea of multiple entry points is important. And like I said, a lot of times a district will say, you know, take a unit, transform it into a PBL experience. And for a lot of people, that can be tough. So by breaking it down into multiple components and saying, okay, we just want you to tackle a couple of components, then your approach to PBL as an organization is naturally differentiated. Um, one more thing I'll add too is let's say you, a lot of times when we do that and say, we want you to take one unit and trans and, you know, transform it into a PBL, it might be an experience that six, eight, 10 weeks, right? Then we get this grand experience and then we learn a lot from it, but then we don't apply what we've learned until like next year when we do it again. Right. So I would say either approach it through those components that I talked about or do multiple small projects that are like two or three weeks. So those, so those learning cycles are rapid, two to three weeks. You learn a lot, you apply it again, then you apply it again, then you apply it again, as opposed to one long approach or one long unit or project-based learning experience. And then you're not able to apply what you've learned until maybe the following year. So there's a lot there, but you know, that's those are some different like yeah. potholes I've seen and some ways to to avoid them. Yeah, no, I think it's uh I think it's really, really relevant to the times, you know, as we start to really see opportunities to improve and increase the amount of communication um that has been lost. Um, mm-hmm. that face-to-face communication, that connection, that relationship building, that emotional, you know, mm-hmm. intelligence development. I think yeah. it's I think that the more that we as educators can take a step back and and lead as a facilitator um it's critical and 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 i agree i mean i think our we need to to walk our talk and i think maybe from a a leadership perspective if if you want project-based learning you have to encourage it in your professional learning Mm -hmm. opportunities um giving people time and space to to create and develop and share and become teacher leaders become 
leaders in their space, which is pretty, yeah. sounds pretty like a pretty awesome environment. And I think that, you know, I've seen it in a lot of places and it's great to see. So I love it. So, you know, we have to actually, I, I'm already going to say to Aaron Murphy that we are also, we're doing a double dedication here. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna, we're going to dedicate it to Aaron Murphy, your, your co-author too, because um, any co-author deserves a dedication, yeah. especially times two, but yeah. also you have another thing, a dedication. And one thing we do on the show is we dedicate each show to someone who's out there unlocking unlimited potential in all whom they serve. And this episode, as I said, we're doing two. So yeah. tell us about Tanya Wilson. Yeah. So Tanya, um, I've been at Roaring Brook, uh, school in Chapel for, this is my fourth year. Uh, she jumped on board after my first year. Um, so I was the assistant principal and I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of hiring a principal for the school, you know, or, or contributing to the hiring of, of a principal for the school that I had to work with or that I had the pleasure, I shouldn't say had to work with, or that I have the pleasure of working with. And, um, she came over from Pelham, had been there many years and she's been a complete pleasure to work with. And I've learned a lot from her. Um, just watching the way she interacts with people, the way she runs a building, the way, um, you know, she trusts me and gives me autonomy as an assistant principal. Um, you know, I, I think in a way it, it definitely benefits the teachers and it benefits the students because I have that autonomy and she trusts me. And because I take on certain things, I don't have to run everything by her. You know, she doesn't run everything by me. We function independently, but we come together when we need to. In a way, the building almost functions as if it has two like full-time principals, which I think benefits us. And it, of course, it benefits everybody else. And um, you know, just somebody who I think brings out the best in me, you know, and she's somebody that I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping in touch with, you know, you know, if and when we are no longer working together, she's definitely somebody who will be a lifelong friend. And I think once again, this whole idea of being human and putting people first is what is definitely something I believe in and in spades is something that she brings to the table. Shout out to Tanya Wilson. Yeah. Love it. That is awesome. It is awesome to, yeah. uh, it's awesome to hear, you know, the, that they're it, that the leaders are there seeing that team approach. It's awesome yeah. to to you, you know, and that there's not that hierarchy. And, and it sounds like, you know, that it's just yeah. an important part. And I love it when people shout out their they're kind of their their teammates that are right in the you know the, yeah. the office next door. So shout yeah. out for that one. But you know, you got a lot going on as well. So you know book number two, and then you've been out and about and you've been, what kind of work is happening for you as well in the future? Yeah. So, um, along, along with, uh, the work that I do in my district, you know, whether it's like speaking, consulting, presenting, you know, a lot of it relates to the two books, especially the newer book, um, on how to implement that across an organization. That's something that I'm really interested in is how do you make systemic change, right? How do you scale something? So it's one thing to work with individual teachers, but if an administrator were to say, okay, across my middle school, you know, across my elementary school, across my district, how do I make sure um, that everybody's doing project-based learning in an impactful way, right? So to me, that's like a very unique challenge because it, um, it necessitates a knowledge of pedagogy, but also systems thinking, which is something that I'm a huge, huge fan of. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, every classroom you walk in, um, you know, or I should say everybody's definition of project-based learning is the same within an organization, but teachers still have the autonomy to make it their own, right? So it's that balance, that push and pull, 
between a vision um, and teachers feeling like they have those that creative autonomy that we talked about. So there's that. Um, and looking at writing, you know, I have a couple of different books that I'm kind of throwing around in my head that I'd like to write. One of them um, that I'll mention is, you know, on student agency or even just, you know, um, organizational agency um, and kind of like a framework for it for, for organizations and a framework for it for, for students. Because really that's, you know, that's at the core of what we want is we want students to be independent learners. So, so how do we do that, right? What does that look like? You know, project-based learning is a part of it, inquiry is a part of it, but at its core, how do we bed that into the culture of our organization for both students and educators, right? So what I've learned is that you can't say we want student agency, but then for instance, like micromanage your, your teachers, right? So I think if it's something that you firmly believe in, it has to permeate all aspects of your organization, right? Like you can't say, I want you to do project-based learning, but um, I don't know, like, and then, and then implement silly compliance things, right? It's either you trust your people and you want agency and you want PBL inquiry or, you know, so I'm really big on, you know, I, I've been looking a lot into that, that whole idea of like, how do you make, like I said, agency permeate all aspects of your organization? Yes, I, I totally, totally, totally agree. I think the idea of it all is, is really incredible. And, and, it creates that that creative autonomy through project-based learning mm -hmm. and student agency is that hierarchy so mm -hmm. I, there's no better time to ask you this than right now is mm -hmm. i have to ask you to finish my sentence mm -hmm. so unlocking unlimited yeah. potential means because you've been talking about it all through yeah this yeah. incredibly thing i wish i had a button i wish i had like a bell that would go off that i could just ding every time for all the like great bullet points that happened here and if anybody is at home doing like a some sketch notes please do some sketch notes of this and send this to me i will pay millions um but just ding 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 so many great things so unlocking unlimited potential means yeah i think it i think it really means selflessly centering others right that that's the best way i think i could put it is you're really showing up every day with this mindset that um, you're, you're there to serve. You're there to serve, you're there to empower others and you're there to bring out the best in others. Um, you know, and, and, and really helping people to uncover their superpowers and, and use their superpowers, I think, I think is really important. Um, I'll tell a very, very, we've talked a lot, but I'll tell a very short story as it relates to that. So for instance, um, the other day I was talking to one of our new teachers in the building and one of the things that she said she's a one she's wonderful I'm not going to you know for confidentiality reasons I'm not going to use her name but if she's listening to this she'll know who it is she'll know it's her um she said something like Ross I feel like coming to a new organization and it wasn't a knock on our school or district or anything but the nature of coming to a new organization it feels like you're starting over so you build yourself up as a model teacher where you are you come to a new organization it feels like you're starting from the bottom. So maybe where you previously were, you were empowering people like across your district, across your school, people were coming in to see you teach, and then you go somewhere new and you're just another teacher, you know, and I, and I say that, you know, kindly. Um, so I heard her say that, you know, and it was, it was a very, very short conversation, but I think leadership is picking up on what people are saying and what people are also not saying. So then I followed up with a conversation 
with my principal and we talked about that. And then we came up with this idea that we need to implement is interviewing, like just one-on-one -on -one interviews with our new people, but also anybody else who wants to interview regarding what are your superpowers? And as you said, like, how could we unlock your potential? How could we get the most of you in our space, regardless of how long you've been with us? And I think that sends a very powerful message. It's because we've hired you, we trust you, we want to empower you. We're not going to make you pay your dues. We're not going to make you be here five, six, seven years until your voice could be heard. We believe in you. Again, we want to unlock your potential and we feel like your voice should be heard right now. So I only mention that because I think it relates to what we're talking about, but it's also something that previously happened that's really been on my mind. This whole idea of like when you join a new organization and you go back down the totem pole, so to speak, it, it's a, it could really hurt your ego, hurt your identity and make you wonder who you are as a professional and maybe as a person. So I feel like any good organization right from the very get-go would take advantage of, of, you know, the superpowers of your people, regardless of how long they've been there. Creative autonomy. There you go. There, there you it go. is. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if, if yeah. we are not empowered enough to, it's to control ourselves, then how are we going to, how are we going to create for others? How are we going to serve? How are we yeah. going to do that? You know, yeah. Man, I appreciate that. It's been a great conversation. I know my listeners are super excited about this. If you are out there listening, please make sure you like, share, subscribe, send it out to all your people, send it out to those people who are saying no to project-based <laughs> learning and let them know that here's all the notes to get started. And most importantly, how can everybody uh, keep up with you and, and reach out to learn more? Yeah. Um, so on Twitter, Ross Coops 31. Um, my email, Ross Coops 31 at gmail.com. So that's my Twitter. That's my email and my website, which I haven't, I haven't been blogging as much as I should, but I have some stuff up there as well as Ross Coops 31.com. <laughs> so Ross Coops 31 across the board. Um, there we go. Way to get in touch with me. Yep. All that stuff will be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, I thank you for, for joining me tonight. I know it's, it's kind of late now at, at night, so it's, yeah, I'm yeah. excited to go to bed, but this is good. It was great to connect with you. I'm finally glad we were able to do this yeah. and uh, I appreciate you. I hope you have a, an amazing rest of your year. You too. You too. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. And to everybody out there, to those listeners, if you have not subscribed yet to the something for you newsletter, what are you waiting for? It's free. Go over to brandonbeckedu.com and sign up to receive helpful tips and resources in your mailbox on the 1st and 15th of every month. Check it out. Sign up. Check it out. And most importantly, just check it out because I spend a lot of time on it and I just would like your opinion or connect with me and let me know what you think. But that being said, for everybody out there, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. All the details will be in the show notes on how to stay up to date with this awesome guest. And for everybody out there, just remember that the journey towards unlocking unlimited potential, it begins with you. I hope that you all continue to educate with passion and purpose in all whom you serve. Have an amazing day.